Thank you for listening to Pastor Cedric of Commitment Church. Our hope is to inspire, refresh, and encourage you to be lights in a dark world. This week, we continue a series called Blessed. If you do find this message inspiring or motivational, please follow Pastor Cedric or Commitment Church on Facebook and Instagram. Download our podcast on Anchor.fm, Pandora, Google Podcasts, and other platforms. Now, here's Pastor Cedric. So throughout this series, uh, we've posed one major question, and it is this. It is, how do you know if you are blessed? How do you know if you're blessed? Now, if I would survey every person here, uh, I'm sure we probably all have a different response to uh, but maybe similar as it relates to how do you know if you're blessed, right? It'll be based upon your circumstances of life, right? If you're old, young, in between, if you're physically sound, if you're not sound, if you're mentally sound, or if you're not, uh, there will be various answers to the question, how do you know, how do you know without a shadow of a doubt that you're blessed? Well, there was a Greek word um, that we've identified um, when Jesus was preaching what is, what is called the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. Uh, it was his first public message. It was his, he was entering his public ministry, and he gave these, what we have coined, the Beatitudes, the blessed are. And the word blessed means this. It comes from a Greek word, makarios, and um, it's described more than just being happy. Right? It is more than just being happy because things are going well, right? Because being blessed is way beyond things are going well on the outside of us, right? Uh, but it really means that we are, are blessed because the kingdom of God rules our hearts. So again, everything can be falling apart around you. You can right now, young men and women, you could be hating your parents' guts. And I get that, but at the end of the day, on the inside, you can be okay, right? I mean, children can be rebelling and not allowing you to sleep at night and all kinds of stuff that goes along with that, but you can be at peace on the inside, right? Financial difficulties, marital difficulties, loneliness as a single man. Or think about this. Let's say that you're being, let's say that life is uh, rapidly moving, like your business is expanding, or our children are now entering the world. You're having, you know, grandkids, and things are shifting, and things like that. And somehow you can be so burdened, even sometimes by the good things that are happening around you, and lose peace because the kingdom of God is not ruling on the inside of you. But if his kingdom is evident within you, then it somehow uh, causes everything around you to, to balance out, level out, or not necessarily rule your heart and govern your heart. Because that's always the battle here on this earth. Who will, as uh, Pastor Juan uh, stated, who will rule your heart? Who will be king of your heart, right? Will it be the king of the kingdom of heaven or will it be some other king of this world? Make sense? Some other ruler or thing of this world. So that being said, this kingdom then allows us to have this favor from God that also marks the fullness of God. In other words, that you are complete. You don't need something else around you or someone else around you to make you full and complete. Make sense? 
this is this blessedness that we've been uh, navigating through and trying to understand with more detail. So the question again is, our second question would be, uh, you know, how do we know we're blessed? Therefore, I gave you um, four what I called um, uh, internal awareness questions. Do you remember what they were? The first one was this. It was, you know, how are you? In other words, how are you on the inside when no one else sees but God? How are you on the inside when, again, everyone, listen, you could, be, you could be seated in a crowded room, but on the inside, God is speaking to you, right? Deep down on the inside, God is speaking to you about you and about him ruling and governing your life, having full reign and control over your life. And that is that narrative that we all struggle with on this side of heaven. Who will be in control, right? Will it be his his kingdom, would it be his um, way or your way, right? There's a way that seems right unto a man, but it's what? It leads to destruction. So am I going to choose his way? And that always begins on the inside of me. Once you start dealing with you on the inside, then there's this natural progression of, am I now pleasing God? So the second question is, how am I pleasing God? But here's the challenge. Pleasing God always leads to a third question, how am I with others? In other words, I cannot be pleasing to God without also being okay with others, right? How can you say you love God who you do not see and hate your brother who you do see, right? You follow me? So you, there's this vertical responsibility that that spills over to our horizontal relationships, right? And our horizontal relationships will somehow infect our vertical relationship with God and they're inseparable, they're tethered together. So again, how am I with pleasing God and how am I with others? Which leads to our fourth question, what we'll tackle today is, how am I glorifying God? Because at the end of the day, how am I on the inside? How am I with God? How am I with others? Will ultimately determine if I am pleasing God in everything that I do. Make sense? All right, so let's dive into the last question. How am I glorifying God? If you can, open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5, beginning with verse number 1. We're going to read verses 1 through 11, and then we're going to find our, if you would, our last answer to the last question in verses 10 and 11. It says, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. He opened his mouth and began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Verse 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And in verse 10 and 11, it says, Blessed are those who have been persecuted. Anybody ever been persecuted? It says, For the sake of righteousness, which you would get to, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Then verse 11, lastly, it says, Blessed are you when people insult you. Ever been insulted? Ever been persecuted? It says, And falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Right. So here's the challenge is that in my glorifying God, 
it is always tethered to me going through something. Right? Think about, you know, what testimony is a testimony without first the trial? Right? You, you know, you, there's really no testimony without the what? The trial. Right? You know, God can bless you immensely. You say, wow, I'm out of financial debt. But guess what you've had to be in first? Debt. <laughs> right? Oh, I can't believe it. My marriage is going well. Well, there could have been a time that your mar marriage wa wasn't going well. Right? So you follow me? So in glorifying God, there always has to be the persecution that comes first, the insults, the you know, and, and the and the other false accusations that comes first before you're able to glorify God. Makes sense. But here's the challenge in this, I believe, is that many times we find ourselves being persecuted, insulted, and falsely accused, not for all the right reasons. Maybe because I said something inappropriately, and then someone says something back to me. Maybe because I did the wrong thing, and then I'm publicly humiliated on the job, right? You know, whatever it may be, you know, I, I, there's something that typically spurs on the persecution, the insults, and so forth. But in our context as followers of Jesus Christ, if we want to bring him glory, there's only two reasons that we're given in the scriptures, especially in verse 10 and 11, that gives us the permission to be persecutedly, falsely accused, and insults being uh, 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 pushed our way, if you would. And the first is this, you find in verse 10. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of what? Righteousness. If I'm being persecuted because I did the wrong thing, eh, there's no promise to that. There's no promise from God that says, if you're insulted, I run to your rescue, or if you're insulted, I will take care of you if you just do whatever you want to do and, and however you want to do it. But the promise is this, blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, then it says, for theirs is what? The kingdom of heaven. First reason, that if you want God to bless you in the midst of, of the persecution, or you want to bring him glory in the midst of your persecution, you cannot be being persecuted for doing what you want to do. Does that make sense? The second uh, promise that God gives us in verse 11, it says, blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me, big, big me, meaning Jesus. So if I'm being persecuted, if I'm being insulted, if I'm being falsely accused, and it's because of me, uh, there's no promise attached to that. Well, there's a promise, and the promise is you're on your own. But it says that you will be blessed if you are suffering and you're going through the issues and people are talking about you because of righteousness and because of the righteous one. Only two. So, so take that and transfer that into your today insults. 
So let's say hypothetically a guy is being insulted by her, his wife. And maybe it's coming across that she's snippy and snappy at him. And maybe she's not respecting him like he believes he should be. And even the Bible commands her to be. Right? But if I'm not loving her righteously or living with her righteously, what else do I expect to get from her? Right? I mean, it, it is. And then here's a challenge, wives. Conversely, if you want to be blessed by the love of your husband and you're not respecting him as unto the Lord, what do you expect to get? Now, we know that we're all weird and confused, that we, we don't necessarily do everything the Bible tells us to do. But, but the reality is, I believe by God's grace in the wait for a husband or wife to eventually get it and catch up to God, God somehow supernaturally still blesses you. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. That you, a man, can still feel respected even though he's not getting it from his wife because he's in that sweet spot with Jesus. A woman can still feel loved no matter what, because she's in that sweet spot with Jesus. She's not expecting to get it from anyone else, but the kingdom is in her. You follow me? And she is love because love lives in her. The word persecuted means this, to be harassed, troubled, to be mistreated, the word insult means to be defamed, railed at, reviled, to assail abusive words. And to, to be falsely accused means to be lied upon, speak deliberate falsehoods against you. So this is what the promise protects you and I from. But our challenge is to come to a place that we realize that I glorify God when I live through these persecution and insults for righteousness sake and for the sake of the righteous one. Make sense? So 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 14 through 19 fleshes this out a little further. Listen to what it says. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 14 through 19. It says, if you are reviled for the name of Christ, you're what? It, so so what, you could do an exercise. If you could put your name in there. If, if you are reviled for the sake of Cedric, I'm not blessed. Because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. So think about that. I am blessed because I'm re being reviled for the name of Christ because the spirit of glory rests upon me. Or you can say uh, even more theologically proper is that the spirit of God who lives within me begins to reveal himself even more through me in the midst of being reviled is that people wonder, what is going on? Why isn't he responding? Why is she responding to me like I think they should? Because the Spirit of God is, what, revealing himself more and more through you, through self-control, peace, long-suffering, temperance. It goes on to say this in verse 15. 
Make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer. Now, I don't know your, your record, <laughs> but one thing I do know from all of our records of our soul is that we've probably said with our mouths or in our minds thought of someone like, I, I don't like you, I hate you, and Jesus calls us all what? Murderers. And then our thief, you could say this, that's a covered, someone who covets, right? That I want something you have, right? So, so think about that. So you may not have stolen anything lately, but you probably wanted something that somebody has. Well, I would love to have that marriage. I would love to have their children are so obedient. I would just love to have, <laughs> you know, I would love to have their their, their house, their job, whatever, their job. I would love to our evildoer, our troublesome meddler. Verse 16, 1 Peter chapter 4. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, Christ-like little Christ, he is not to be ashamed, but is to glorify God in this, this name. The name of what? Christian. Christ-like. Then lastly, verse 19 says this, Therefore, those also who suffer according to the will of God shall entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what's right. You do what's right through the pains of life. He will always come to your rescue. Sometimes it's not fair, but it wasn't fair to nail Jesus up to the cross. But through his suffering, ultimately we're able to suffer, we're able to navigate suffering through the power of his Holy Spirit and become better from it. Now, if I would just end there, we would all be like messed up. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to try to go further into the Sermon on the Mount to now give you four ways to glorify God as we live through this, okay? So we understand that at the end of the day, we have to be men and women who says, okay, I'm going to do what's right, and I'm going to do, do what's right for the righteous one. But how does that look, or how do, I, how do I navigate through that? Make sense? So I believe Jesus, further in his sermon on the mount, begins to answer some of these, these questions that I'm assuming that everyone who was listening during that time was, was starting to have in their own mind. So here's the first. If you could open to, again, Matthew chapter 6, still in the book of Matthew, and it's going deeper into the Sermon on the Mount. And the first is this, chapter 6, verses 5 through 7, and verses 16 through 18, okay? It says this, When you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they may be seen by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees you, what sees what is done in secret will reward you openly. And then verse 7 says this, And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. So now he gives a model prayer or how we should approach him, right? So when you look at a couple of key words, it's meaningless repetition means this, to repeat the same thing over and over 
and also means an author of tedious and wordy poems. poems. So when we come to God, we must come to God specifically and poignantly knowing exactly what we need God's help with. Now, in light of this, the way we're able to navigate through our persecution, our insults, is that we must be men and women through all of this who are continuing to seek him through prayer, and we're going to learn also fasting. One of the first things that begins to stop happening many times in the midst of persecution and insults is that we stop seeking God, but we seek the counsel of other people. We begin to communicate, we begin to uh, uh, communicate, you know, uh, repetitiously to other people rather than God. We want other people to hear our voice rather than God to hear our voice, or we want to hear other people's opinion on the matter rather than God's opinion, right? So the challenge we, fi we find and we will always have is we must continue to pray and we're going to learn in point number one and fast in the midst of our persecution and our insults. We got to be men and women who understand exactly what God uh, desires from us and go to God specifically to what our needs may be. And we must go to him continuously. That's why 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 through 18 suggests that we should never stop praying. It says this, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. The word not without ceasing means this, to pray in everything and at all times. So in everything we go through and at all times, we must be men who do what and women who do what? Pray. But then secondly, which is probably the most difficult part, this is point number one, but the second part of point number one, you have prayer coupled with fasting is probably one of the most difficult and are underused, if you would, tools that God has given us to navigate persecution and insults. And let me dive into that real quickly. So look at, again, you have Matthew chapter 6, verse 16 through 18. It says this. Whenever you fast, do not put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites do, for they neglect their appearance so that they will be noticed by men when they are fasting. Truly I say to you, they have re their reward in full. But you, when you fast, anoint your head, wash your face, so that your fasting will not be noticed by men, but your father who's in secret. And your father who sees what is done in secret will do what? Reward you. Why is fasting so important? And fasting for the record means to not eat and not drink. It doesn't mean fast from TV, Facebook, social media, or whatever creative way you want to fast. It means don't eat. It means starve yourself. Now, why would God tell us to fast? Well, see, Matthew chapter 17, verse 21, Jesus goes on to say this. He talks about it breaking strongholds. And he says, but this kind does not come out except what? Prayer coupled with what? Why? My humble opinion, or this is the way I would describe it. Our flesh cannot live without food and drink. But you know what a man thinks whose, whose stronghold is pornography? I cannot live without pornography. That's what his mind and his body tells him. 
You know, you know what a, a woman's body who, who longs for intimacy from a man, you know what her body says? I cannot live without intimacy of a man. That, that's what the body says. The body simply says, I need this. I got to have this. The same is true as when someone just cannot hold their tongue. You hear them say things like this. Well, I just have to say that. Well, I'm just telling the truth. <laughs> well, you know, somebody had to say it. It's really saying that my mind and my body says I have the right to say whatever I want to say whenever I want to say it. In other words, there's a lack of self-control all around. And what fasting does, believe it or not, what it does is simply says that your flesh cannot live by bread alone but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. It simply says to your flesh, no. And I'm going to train you how to say no. Because I'm not going to let you have the very thing that you need to live upon this earth. No. So when you fast, it simply is conditioning your flesh to say, you know what? Greater is he that is in me than he that is what? In the world. That's all it's doing. It's just dress rehearsal in your flesh to say, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. That guess what? This pornography, this man, this woman, this tongue, this mind, this flesh, and whatever it craves no longer has authority over me because he lives within me. And that's why it's so hard to do. Right? Let's be real. That's why water smells good when you fast. Right? Don't, don't let someone pop popcorn like five blocks away. <laughs> oh, somebody's popping popcorn in the neighborhood. Because your, your flesh longs for it. And when we're able to say, no, God is telling me to fast on Monday or every Friday or for seven days, or three days, or 30 days, I'm not going to do it. And what it's really saying to your flesh again is, no, no, there's someone who holds dominion over my flesh. And it is Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. Prayer and fasting, think about this. So if I'm being persecuted and insulted, I may want to say something. I may want to do something. But if I have the discipline of seeking God's counsel, the discipline of fasting in my life, you know what's going to begin to do? You're going to exhibit self-control. You're going to start exhibiting the fruit of the Spirit in your life. That simply says that I am choosing to make this decision for righteousness' sake and for the sake of the righteous one. Because most decisions are made because of me. And what I want. And what's right to me. What feels good to me. Versus what makes him happy. 
we continue to seek him as we pray and fast. But then verses 19 through 24, Matthew chapter 6, we continue uh, when we serve, learn to serve one master. And, and I'll help flesh this out for you. So Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 24 says this. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves uh, do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Right? It says the eye is the lamp of the body. So then if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. Why am I taking you here? And why did Jesus apparently teach this? One of the greatest adversaries to the mastery of Jesus is wealth. Not enough of it or too much of it. Not enough of it says, I will rob, cheat, and steal, as the proverb says. Too much of it simply says, I have no need of you, as the proverb said as well. And that's why the, proverb, uh, the writer of Proverbs says, Give me my portion. In other words, don't give me too little. Don't give me too much that I would defame your name. But give me my portion. So the challenge is this, is that <laughs> chances are there's going to be some form of persecution or insults that will be attached to money in someone's life. Either you, you work on a job and you figure you do for a pay increase. And your boss says to you, no. <laughs> you do for some kind of promotion and your boss says no, right? Or let's say you have your own business and the customer, you feel that you deserve a certain price to your, your performance and your, uh, your work and the customer says no. So there's gonna be some kind of tension or the IRS says something to you and then you have to change. You, there's going to be something that happens in your life that will be tethered to, tied to, draw back to money. School debt. It could be, you know, you got too much money as a couple. Now you're arguing about how you're going to spend it. Or you got a little money as a couple and you don't know what to do. Something's going to happen in your life that's tethered to money, which is so much like God. And believe it or not, if you didn't know this, and you could do a study on this in yourself, is that second to love, our nuances to love, you know what is second mentioned to love? Wealth in the Bible. And it's interesting that he says where your treasures are, that is where your heart will be. Because my humble opinion is God somehow, some way will always put his fingerprint on your bank account. Some way, somehow, he will touch your money so that he can touch your heart. But here's the dilemma. If the money 
somehow always remains the master, right? Then it's going to infect my heart. But if, but if the master remains the master over the provisions, then he remains the Lord of your heart. So the challenge that we face is this, ladies and gentlemen, is that if God can help you learn that he must always rule your finances, chances are he's going to touch you in every other area in your life. If he can teach you how to be a good steward, and ultimately a good steward is, it's not your money, it's his. You're not in charge, he is. He's the one should tell you what you do with what you have versus you telling him what you want to do with what you have, which doesn't belong to you. Anyway. But once you be, you're able to balance that out, level that out in your life, chances are you're going to learn self-control in a lot of other areas in your life. Because most people who are frivolous with their money our chances are frivolous with every other area in their lives. Most people who lack self-control with their finances typically lack self-control in many other areas in their lives. So why wouldn't he say, let me hold on to the purse strings? Why wouldn't he say, no, you can't serve two masters? You see, because you look at these two key words, the word serve means this, to be a slave, to obey, to be submitted to, to give oneself up to. Will you give yourself up to money? Will you give yourself up to the master? The word master means this, To whom a person or thing belongs. Second definition, the deciding power. The last two definitions, the chief, the sovereign one. When you're able to say, no, 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 no. No matter how much I have or how little I have. He is the one who is sovereign. He's the one I belong to. He is the deciding power of everything in my life. Then if persecution and insults come your way, guess what happens? They just roll off your back. Because you know who holds control. Make sense? So it's almost like he has to take us to that extreme that says, ah, I got to get your heart. Got to have your heart. That's why he tells us to tithe and give. That's why he tells us to actually seek me and you do what I tell you to do. Because chances are we get in a rhythm. You, you get a rhythm of tithing. It's, oh, 10%, 10%. My humble opinion is 10% is only a baseline. It's a starting point to say this is what you could be doing and should be doing. When he becomes the master, you go, you pray with him, pray to him, Matthew, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, 8, 9. You ask him, what should I do? 
See the difference? What should I do? Simply says, God, you own the PIN number to my account. Which simply says he's the master over everything. Make sense? So it's almost like he has to take us to that extreme to really reach our hearts, to then say, okay, where your treasure is. That's really where you are in every other place. Pray and fast, serve one master. The next is found in chapter 7, verses 15 through 20, real quickly. Chapter 7, verses 15 through 20 says this, Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles are they. So every good tree bears fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce a good fruit. I mean, uh, produce bad fruit. Nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear fruit, is cut down and thrown into the father, fire. So then you will know them by their fruits. So during persecution, during insults, it's really important. If you're going to navigate through those insults and persecutions and, and, and so forth in your life, you and I must continue to bear fruit. And one of the greatest, I think, um, realities of this that we had was 2020. Overall, the church stopped bearing fruit. Everyone went into their home, bunkered down, and protected themselves and those they love. Went on a hiatus, for the most part. And it was proved, proven, if, you, if you're on social media, it was proven that the church wasn't bearing fruit. How we were treating each other, let alone the world. But the word bear means this, to make, to produce, to be the authority of. So, so there's this responsibility of to make and to produce and to start making the authority of. In other words, that we are starting to uh, 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 create and do things that ultimately is bearing a fruit. The word fruit means this, to work, deeds, acts, praises which are presented to God as thank offerings. Again, the challenge we find is this, is that when we are being persecuted and insulted and everything is just chaotic around us, we have a choice. We have a choice to either press in and continue to bear fruit and continue to bear fruit, which simply says that the Spirit of God is alive and active and well in my life. So think about this. If I'm being persecuted and insulted on Facebook and there's no love of the Holy Spirit, there's no patience of the Holy Spirit, there's no joy of the Holy Spirit, there's no kindness of the Holy Spirit, flowing off the key strokes on my finger, there's no fruit. The greatest time that we have
to bring him glory is when we are being insulted and persecuted and somehow he is made believable because of the fruit we bear. Some of the greatest times for Jesus' name to be made known and made big is when you are being reviled, disrespected, lied on, cheated on, but yet some way, somehow, the love of Jesus just oozes out of you. The joy of Jesus just oozes out of you in the midst of it all. No matter how difficult the persecutions and insults get, we must always bear fruit. Lastly, chapter 7, verses 24 through 27 in Matthew chapter 7. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against that house, and yet it did not fall, for it had been founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. Understand the context. Sermon on the Mount, introduction. Blessed are you, blessed are you, blessed are you, blessed are you, blessed are you. Let me teach you how to pray. Let me show you all these different ways of living. Then he concludes. If you hear these words and you obey each one of them, you'll be like a wise man who builds his house on a rock. But if you choose not to hear and obey everything that I just told you, you'll be a foolish man or woman who builds a house on the sand and great will be your fall. We must continue to seek him in prayer and fasting, serve one master, bear, one, bear much fruit. Our fourth way to glorify God in the midst of our persecution and insults is that we must continue hearing and acting on the word of God. When he speaks, we respond. The word hears means this, to attend to, consider what is or has been said, and to understand. So when he speaks, we get it. When God is speaking, we get it. We get it to the point that the word acts means this, and this is so wonderful. This word acts is the same word that describes in the Greek the word bear, which means to make, to produce, to be the author of. So think about this, church, really quickly and, and, and intently. When God speaks to you from the authority of his word, you hear it, you understand it, and you start bearing fruit to the point that you become the author of what he spoke to you. 
In other words, what he gives you and I the privilege to do is he knows that your house is different than mine. 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 Your heart is different than mine. Your heart is different than mine. Your heart is different than mine. But it is your responsibility, my responsibility to individually become the author of what he has spoken to you in your life. You are to prescribe what he has spoken to you and apply it to your life individually because every heart and every home and every situation and every persecution and insult is specific to a person. But each person must hear what he says and do what he says. And if you don't, young or old, if you don't, if you don't, you be like a foolish man or woman builds their house on the sand and when the storms come and you know, you know, we know storms come. They just come. It's a fact of life. Great will be the fall. James chapter 1 verses 19 through 22 says this, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all, the, all that, manner, that remains of wickedness and humility, receive the word, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. But prove yourselves to be doer, doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. When he speaks, you act. You become the author of what he has spoken. That that word, the word of God in that area in your life must become yours. It's yours. Let me end with this. So I start off and end it with a whole bunch of questions. So the closing will be with questions. <laughs> and I always like to pose questions because questions should make you think individually. A singular question that forces every individual to think personally. So the first question and conclusion is this. Have you ever wondered why your blessings are delayed or even seemingly denied? Have you ever wondered why your blessings are delayed or even seemingly denied? God, why don't they? Why don't he? Why doesn't she? Why? What's, what's, have you ever wondered that? I know I have. Why are they delayed? Why does it seem like you're not answering me, God? Are you not interested? So your answer, our answer, could be linked to this final question. 
And it is this. Why do you want to have or to live a blessed life? In other words, practically, why do you want to be married? Why do, you, why do you want to go on vacation? You know, why, why do you, uh, you know, feel that you need to get out of debt? Why do you think you need a pay increase? You know, why do you want to start a business? Why do you want to be the manager? Why do you want to be in ministry? You see, because I don't think anybody wakes up in the morning and says, okay, God, you know, I just, I'm, I'm trusting you that my bank account will be on zero today. Right? I mean, it, it's, I mean, no one, no one in their right minds, unless God's called you to that, you know, is waking up and say, oh, yeah, okay, God, I just, I, I hope it'd be really nice that me and my wife get in an argument this morning. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> no, no, one, no one even thinks that way, Right? But you can rest of a sure if you had an argument with your wife the night before that you're waking up saying, God, can you help us? God, can you help my marriage? Or can I keep, right? Right? You follow me, right? If you have a bill that, that you need to pay, you're going to be praying. Say, oh, God, can you bless my finances? Oh, God, okay, I, I won't spend like that anymore. You know, <laughs> you know we, we'll be praying all kinds of blessedness, right? So let's be honest before God. We... we we do look for these forms of blessing. And I'm not even saying that there's anything wrong with that. You follow me? But why? I'm all up to a man saying, you know what, I want to take my wife to, to France and, you know, and, and, and just woo her and just take care of her and just, you know, singing French to her or something like that, you know. <laughs> that's all cool. I mean, to me, my humble opinion is, man, if that's what's in your heart for your wife, my humble opinion is, if she is that precious jewel that God calls her to be, and if I really found a good thing, he's going to give me favor because of her. So I'm a, I'm a firm believer. Yeah, dream big. Absolutely. Dream big for your wives, guys. Dream big, mothers, for your children. Dream big. There's nothing wrong with that. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. But why? That's the big question. Why do you want those forms? of? Why does a parent want their children not to embarrass them in public? <laughs> Even when they're adults, you know? Like, oh, God, they're embarrassing me. You know what? Why? Is it just because it's my reputation that's on the line? You see where I'm leading you? I believe the answer I found in Psalm 67. Can we turn there? We're going to end with these verses and some discoveries from here. Psalm 67, only seven verses. Psalm 67, beginning with verse 1. It says, God, be gracious to us and bless us. You hear that? That's the psalmist's prayer. Bless us. So if it's written, it's okay to pray it. Right? 
and cause his face to shine upon us. Praise the Lord, right? Verse 2, that your way may be known on the earth, your salvation among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you would judge the peoples with uh, uprightness and guide the nations on the earth, Selah. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its produce. God, our God, blesses us. Our God blesses us that all the ends of the earth may be feared. Two, two reasons why we should want God's blessing that's found from this. Verse 2, that your way may be known on the earth, your salvation among all the nations. God, don't bless me and my family just because of me, just because I just want to feel warm and fuzzy. God, don't, don't allow me to be successful businessman or businesswoman. God, don't send me to college to get my master's degree, my, my doctorate degree, or just, you know, my BA or, or BS. Don't just, don't just send me just to fill my cup, but God, let my cup overflow so that people may know you. Matter of fact, so salvation can come to all the earth. All nations, tribes, and tongues will come to the saving knowledge of Jesus. That's why I want this, God. You see, because some of us today, we'll go on vacation and disappear from God. But at the end of the day, our responsibility is, God, yeah, seek him. God bless me, but let it just not be for me. Why do I want this extra room in my house? Why do I want this bigger backyard? Why do I want this additional apartment? Why do I want this extra car? Why do I want this job? Man, we have to begin to realize that it must be tethered to the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is to make his name known. known to all nations. Why do I want to be blessed? Verse 7, God blesses us that all the ends of the earth may fear him. You see, this word fear means to honor, revere, to stand in awe. Last one, which I really want to focus on, to be respected. And you do realize today that people on this earth don't respect our God like they should. And you know whose fault it is? It's ours. Not his fault. God's perfect. But because we want to be blessed to blend into the world, or when he does bless us, or we use our own skill sets, our intellect, our, you follow me? We use all our capacity that he gave us, we blend right into the world. And they don't respect him because of us. Our responsibility is, God, bless me. Yes, bless the works of my hands. God, pour your blessing upon me, but so that people will honor you and stand in all of you and will grow a deeper and more profound respect of you. God, don't give me success so people can respect me. 
See, that's where it many times ends. Right? God blesses you in a, on the corporate ladder. You start growing, growing, growing. Then now everybody fears, reveres, honors, respects you. And they know nothing of your God. It should never be that way. God bless me. Let your blessings fall upon us so that salvation can go to the nations and that your name will be made great and respected in all the earth. Amen. Let's pray. Today there may be someone who may be saying in their heart and mind that, hey, Pastor, I, I, I hear what you're saying, but how do I get there? Well, you get there through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. So if you're here today or you're watching online, the way you get there is through Christ and Christ alone. In other words, you must admit that you're a sinner and you've been living life apart from him. And then now you realize you need him. And in this understanding, you, you're able to confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ came to die for you. He was buried for you. And he rose again from the grave just for you. And you surrender your life to him completely. And if this is something you want, you could just pray along with me this short prayer that encompasses everything I just described. And it goes like this. Just say, Jesus, forgive me. For I have sinned against you. And it, because I've just been living my life on my own without you. But I repent of this. And I turn to you. I realize that you, Jesus, came to die for me. You were buried for me. And you rose again from the grave just for me. Jesus. Please come into my heart to live, to rule, to reign as my master and maker from this day forward. But if we could all stand to our feet, please, as we close out. And thank you for your patience today because we covered a lot. And, you know, the communion Sundays always kind of go a little longer, so we thank you for your patience. Lord, we, we stand in awe of you today because you're the great I am. Lord, on behalf of myself and your people, Lord, I ask for your forgiveness. And if you want to ask for forgiveness, you're welcome to. That, Lord, we have not been the best representatives of you, God. In many cases, Lord, we have defamed your reputation. Forgive us. But today, my Lord, we want your complete blessings upon us individually, every heart, every home. We want your complete blessings upon this church for generations. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh and bless us today. Not so that we can 
be puffed up or think too highly of ourselves, but because we want your name, Jesus, to be great upon all the earth. Not because that we can say, look at us and what we have and what we've done and accomplished. But Lord, salvation, so so salvation can come to the nations. Lord, we want salvation to come to the nations that your name will be feared and awed, respected like it should. Could you lift your hands with me, if you would? Father, we just pray that you would just allow your blessings to fall afresh upon us and a clear understanding of why we want to be blessed. Use us and the many blessings that you will give us to go into all the world, into the highways and the byways, compelling people to come in that your house of worship may be filled based upon the book of Luke. Lord, we want you to be honored in everything. Use us in every area of life for your honor and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we give one hand clap? Thank you again for listening to Pastor Cedric of Commitment Church. If you would like to learn more about Jesus Christ, please visit our website, www.commitmentchurch.org start. This website will walk you through having a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Please let us know if you have made a decision to follow Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, or if you would like to support God's Word through this ministry by visiting www.commitmentchurch.org. You can also visit loveallnations.org for more information and to receive encouraging videos. Lastly, if you or your family reside in the South Jersey area, please visit us at 2 Berlin Road South, Lindenwald, New Jersey, 08021. May God bless you and have a wonderful day.